What Mad Universe is part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Content warning. Eugenics, Nazis, colonialism, orientalism, ableism, and unnecessary brain surgery. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. On the lowermost floor of a skyscraper, many blocks distant, the crimson-fingered man focused his glasses. He started counting stories upward. The building was one of the tallest in New York, a gleaming spike of steel and brick. It rammed upward nearly a hundred stories. At the 86th floor, the sinister man ceased to count. His glasses moved right and left until they found a lighted window. This was at the west corner of the building. Only slightly blurred by the rain, the powerful binoculars disclosed what was in the room. The broad, polished top of a massive and exquisitely inlaid table stood directly before the window. Beyond it was the bronze figure. This looked like the head and shoulders of a man, sculptured in hard bronze. It was a startling sight, that bronze bust. The lines of the features, the unusually high forehead, the mobile and muscular but not too full mouth, the lean cheeks denoted a power of character seldom seen. The bronze of the hair was a little darker than the bronze of the features. The hair was straight and lay down tightly as a metal skull cap. A genius at sculpture might have made it. Most marvelous of all were the eyes. They glittered like pools of flake gold when little lights from the table lamp played on them. Even from that distance, they seemed to exert a hypnotic influence through the powerful binocular lenses, a quality that would cause the most rash individual to hesitate. The man with the scarlet-tipped fingers shuddered. Death, he croaked, as if seeking to overcome the unnerving quality of those strange golden eyes. The son of the feathered serpent has commanded, it shall be death. He opened the black box. Faint metallic clicking sounded as he fitted together parts of the thing it held. After that, he ran his fingers lovingly over the object. The tool of the son of the feathered serpent, he chortled. It shall deliver death. Once more, he pressed the binoculars to his eyes and focused them on the amazing bronze statue. The bronze masterpiece opened its mouth, yawned. For it was no statue, but a living man. Let me strive every moment of my life to make myself better, that all may profit by it. Let me think of the right and lend all my assistance to those who need it, with no regard for anything but justice. Let me take what comes with a smile, without loss of courage. Let me be considerate of my country, of my fellow citizens, of my associates, and everything I say and do. Let me do right to all, and wrong no man. So said Doc Savage, the famous Man of Bronze, in a series of pulp novels written between <clears throat> 1933 and 1945. Hi, I'm Adam Prosser. Uh, with me, as always, is Philip Rice. Hello. Uh, and we're... Uh, oh, and what's the show called, Adam? 
The show is called What Mad Universe, and uh, it's actually our special 100th episode spectacular. Um, so we're going to do a special uh, episode here that sits at the uh, uh, the intersection of actually a number of different nerd things. Um, uh, the, we're going to be looking at Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life by Philip Jose Farmer, which is, of course, about uh, Doc Savage. He's kind of the pulp hero uh the 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 one who kind of embodies a lot of what we think of as uh pulp adventure characters um but he's also it's also part of the wold newton universe which was an idea farmer came up with uh in the 70s which has um had a a bit of a an impact on um it's it's sort of a, a central thing that nerd culture has been about for, for quite a while um in its general conception and specifically the wold newton universe and uh yeah and of course we've talked about farmer before but we'll probably talk a little bit about him as well um anyway we'll be right back after this today's show is brought to you by epos gaming audio with a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio. Like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset, the closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise, while the open version delivers natural high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic, detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RGB configurations, just good design. Listeners can save by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIEND15 at checkout to save 15%. Hey everyone, it's David Petrangelo, one of your hosts from Remember 64, the podcast that goes on the totally tubular journey through the Nintendo 64's library. Join us as we dive into classics from Nintendo, Rare, and into the early days of polygons and 3D worlds. Yes, we're covering it all from top of the charts down to the dingy basement and everything in between. We may even find a few hidden gems. Ooh, intriguing. Remember 64, only on the Tokyo Beat Network. Okay, and we're back. So yeah, Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life was uh, written in 1973. Uh, it was part of... Um, a series of books that uh, Philip Jose Farmer, who, as we've mentioned, did uh, Venus on a Half Shell, which was an attempt to basically write one of the novels by uh, Rose by um, uh, Kilgore, Kilgore Trout, Trout, which were uh, mentioned in uh, I almost said Rosewater uh, Kilgore Trout, which were uh, mentioned in Kurt Vonnegut's novels, uh, in which he supplied a passage of. Um, and that's the kind of thing Farmer did a lot. He liked to uh, to sort of look at existing uh, books and 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 stories and characters and sort of spin them off into, I guess, fanfic. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of the godfather of fanfic in many ways. Uh, well, I, fanfic already existed, but of yes. course, no, a fanfic has ex- existed for a long time. I mean, hey, your your boy uh, Saturday for Anduul is basically fanfic, uh, yeah. but um, but I mean, he kind of. Come, you know, he kind of locked it into a form that we'd recognize. Like it was the idea of like, well, what if Tarzan and Doc Savage were cousins, and what if it was all part of this elaborate shared universe kind of thing? And um, and you know, what if somebody wrote that book? And it's interesting because Farmer was quite a talented science fiction writer in his own right. He wrote um, "To Your Scattered Bodies Go" and um, uh, "Riders of the Purple Wage," which is in uh, Dangerous Visions, and like 
just as a science fiction writer on his own, he was quite good. So it wasn't just he wasn't just going around milking everyone else's stories, but he did like to do that basically. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so um, but before we t- start really diving into the Wold Newton stuff and Farmer, let's just talk about uh, Doc Savage himself. Um, so you, uh, Phil, I, I know I loaned you the first two books that I had. Uh, you just read those two, right? Did you read any other? Uh, I, I did read a few others. Um, uh, I, I looked up ones that came recommended. So I'm, these are sort of the best, considered some of the best ones. Uh, Fear K mm-hmm. and um, Lost Oasis. Okay. Uh, which were both by Lester Dent, I believe. Yeah, Lester Dent, uh, under, writing, I believe, under the name of Kenneth... Uh, is Robeson. Kenneth Robeson, yeah. Um, there were, of course, mul- there were actually multiple writers uh, of Doc Savage novels, uh, but Lester Dent wrote the the majority of them uh, under and he's that. He's considered name. the best, yeah, like yeah. among fans and stuff. Yeah, and he's a, he's effectively the creator as well. I mean, he did the he wrote the first story. Um, it, yeah, it's it's one of those things where like you know somebody else like pitched the idea, but he like shaped it. You know, right. Yeah, it was a it was one a, of the fathers of Doc Savage, basically. R- right. It was a it was a paperback publisher called Street and Smith. Uh, they also did The Shadow, and they they did a lot of uh, pulp novels at the time. Um, <clears throat> and um, it was uh, you know uh, yeah they they sort of threw together this idea. Lester Dent uh, realized it, and um, th- they published a novel every month. Uh, from 33, sorry, I was wrong. It was, I said 45, it's 33 to 49. Uh, and there were 181 um, books or issues, if you want to call them, because it was effectively a magazine, right? It was published as if it was a magazine. Um, but there's, they're each a short novel, basically. Uh, unsurprisingly, they had to bring in <laughs> multiple writers, as we said. Um, Though, uh, I mean, the the Phantom Awe books, the original ones, there were like 38 of those published in four years, so, mm. by by the same two authors, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be done. I, I, I've only read the first one of those, but apparently they, they're kind of, uh, they borrow a lot of elements from other books, you know, mm-hmm. steal yeah. stuff from other books, and, um, yeah, a lot of contradictions, but yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm reminded as you would expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, you know, if it's the kind of once you've got them, you know, we don't think of novels that way anymore. But there, you know, because now we have TV and comics and all these other things. But you know, there was a period where the pulp novels were you were just uh, you were just grinding them out and uh, at a breakneck pace, and you could make money off of it. You know, like it's a, it's a. It was a. It was a. It was a. It could be a gold mine if you cranked them out. I'm reminded of. Um, uh, the Hardy Boys, which were uh, mostly written by Franklin R. Dixon, I believe. I could be wrong. Um, and apparently he... Um, oh, sorry, Franklin R. Dixon. Again, he's a ghostwriter name. But there was one guy who wrote most of them, and it apparently he literally told the story of just like he'd run out of... He, he said he'd never write another one, and then he'd run out of wood for the fire. And so he'd sit <laughs> down and crank out a new Hardy Boys mystery and publish it. And he'd get, you know, enough you know, he'd get a month's rent out of it. He wouldn't get, it wasn't like he was getting rich, even though they're printing hundreds of these things. And, and, you know, but in all fairness, he should have gotten rich. Apparently Lester Dent did do very well out of the, um, uh, the Doc Savage novels. Apparently he actually was quite well off by the time they were, they were done. Um, he also got, um, uh, rights to the, uh, adaptations, which, uh, didn't really happen. There, there's one, movie from the yeah. 70s but doc savage uh, didn't take off like maybe it should have um in other media 
yeah. I think there was a brief radio program as well, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I believe they had some comics for a bit, and yeah, he was in... Oh, there's definitely been comics, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, I mean, he's appeared in comics in, but like that's sort of a later on. Like, for instance, DC published some Doc Savage comics uh, not that long ago. Um, I, I believe Dynamite currently has the the uh, license. Unsurprisingly, Dynamite. Yeah, um, and they they've you know they cross them over with the Shadow and the Spider and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the DC ones, uh, I I actually read some of those at the time. Uh, they were an Im- an imprint by um, uh, I believe Brian Azzarello was sort of the the um, brains behind it. Mm-hmm. It didn't last very long. It, it had some decent ideas, but it didn't really work it was a bunch of just sort of pulp characters in a shared universe it was called for dc first wave right Uh, batman was in it as like a shadow type version of batman Mm -hmm. um but it it had like doc savage the spirit um um the blackhawks were in it um um some other things yeah there, there was like a main book that had like a ongoing story and then side books, Stock Savage being one of them. Uh, and yeah, I, I believe this whole imprint just fell apart. It yeah. just stopped coming out. Well, it's uh, partly probably due to DC, but it's it's also just uh, worth noting that there's always been, you know, <laughs> nerds love the whole pulp uh, adventure genre. And it's not that people don't enjoy them in general. I mean, Indiana Jones wouldn't be popular if, if people didn't love the pulps. Uh, but Doc Savage has just as you say for some reason he's never quite penetrated for all that he was insanely popular and like i say you could kind of see him as the you know ground zero pulp character even though he's hardly the first but you know he's he's uh, a lot of the char- the qualities and characteristics we think of as pulp uh, adventure stories are you know to be found in doc savage including the fact that he inspired superheroes he's he's almost the bridge between uh, pulp heroes and superheroes if there's even a necessary if you even have to have a bridge uh, in that he's not quite super powered, but he's about as close as you could possibly get <laughs> to being uh, uh, super powered without actually being super powered. Um, yeah. He's, he's like a, a Batman type of Batman didn't have a secret identity or like a costume. Yeah. He doesn't have a costume. He's not a superhero because he doesn't have a co- costume or su- secret identity. And as I say, he doesn't quite have superpowers. Uh, I always say with, I have this whole thing about superheroes. Like how do you distinguish a superhero from a pulp character? Uh, I, I always say, you know, you've got to have a secret identity, a costume um, and um, super, uh, uh, superpowers. And you have to have like, uh, one or two other things and you've got to have like two or three of them but you don't need all I, of them i i don't because the shadow fits all those right at various points in the shadow's existence yeah yeah like he didn't always have superpowers but he, he they he acquired them later yeah uh with the shot with the the shadow i feel like he doesn't have a costume and anyway, I, I there was something else i had on the list and i can't he does have a co- i would say shadow has a look yeah he has a he has an aesthetic not a costume as you like <laughs> well, to say yeah um but uh yeah no he uh yeah, yeah, it is funny. I mean, I think the main thing is just that the Shadow was never big in uh, comics at first, uh, at the time when superheroes were associated with comics, and that's the reason we don't full-on call him a superhero. Um, Doc Savage... I'd say all these categories are arbitrary, yeah, and there's a course. great deal of crossover, and it's kind of meaningless to try to, like, you know, we, you know, lawyer your way into, you know... <laughs> uh, because there's no definition of superhero that includes Batman but doesn't include the Shadow. Right. Or, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, that, you know, it, it, you're right. Uh, definitely fair. But, it, but you know, I think it's there's reasons why we think of the the Batman as a superhero and not the Shadow because it's most in in that case, I think it's mostly to do with medium. And I mean, like I say, Doc Savage really is right up to being a superhero. Uh, he doesn't. Ha- yeah. He doesn't have a costume and and a secret identity. Although, he, well. He almost has a secret name. He goes in disguise a lot. Um, you know, like it, it goes into like, is the simp- super, is the Scarlet Pimpernel a superhero? Because he's got a secret identity and all that kind of, you know, like the same thing. Um, uh, Doc Savage has a lot of connections with Superman specifically. Right, yes. Um, I mean, let, let's go through a few of them. Uh, mm-hmm. He's called the Man of Bronze instead of the Man of Steel. Yeah. Um, he has a Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, it's literally called one. that yeah. in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. Um, and his name is Clark. Right. Yeah, it's it's and he's also sometimes called the man of tomorrow. Yes, yeah, that too. Um yeah, he's he's clearly um and it, and the sort of unerring desire for justice is uh probably gave uh you know like that's where superman that's why superman is this like square-jawed boy scout as opposed to you know the shadow who just murders people you know you know what i mean um that's probably uh that's probably something as well but yeah the fact that his first name is clark and he has a fortress of solitude really you you you, and remember that uh um siegel and schuster created superman were literally teenagers when they did that at the time like they were the very specifically very explicitly intended audience for doc savage like that was that was the whole point of the street and smith books like they were like yeah we're getting teenage boys with this um to the point where they even did things like that's probably why he doesn't have like romantic entanglements and you know like it's why he's his mentality is that of a teenage boy <laughs> you know like it's de- it's deliberate they they didn't want <clears throat> anything too sophisticated for teenage you know teenagers um <clears throat> but um yeah so i mean uh the the premise of doc savage uh is that he's like the world's greatest everything basically um he's literally raised um by his father and then by a somewhat mysterious council i don't know if they ever get much into the the council that raised him but apparently his father uh when he was uh, young, his father stumbled across a secret hidden valley rich in gold, um, and uh, which is in actually... the country of Hildalgo, which is a fictional country in South America. Right, and uh, it's you know it's a it's a country it's a valley uh, the Valley of the Vanished I believe it's called um, inhabited by um, by uh, a native tribe who are uh, Mayans Mayans yeah Mayan uh, <clears throat> Mayan a Mayan tribe uh, who are pretty well portrayed for the 1930s they're uh they're doc's allies and they uh you know he he he's it's the source of his wealth is the the golden valley they they're kind of uh, you know they kind of go sure take our gold we don't care uh but they know he's doing good with it i guess is the yeah. excuse well um, they, they have no use for the gold itself because they don't use that as currency so they, it's just something that's abundant there and mm-hmm. yeah yeah um the the majority like there there is a minority of the the military caste who are criminals who are put in charge of protecting which seems like a bad idea but <laughs> um to to have a, a caste responsible for protecting you and but you consider them like the lowest of you uh it's it's yeah i mean i i there are stupider ways to structure societies but uh yeah not many uh <laughs> Yeah. And they, they sort of are trying to uh, rebel, and they're they're working with the uh, villainous forces, and they're the ones who um, 
who try to uh, kill Doc at the beginning right. of the book. Yeah, which, uh, you know, as as always, you've got the sort of like, well, a white man comes in and takes all their stuff, and I can't believe those evil natives want to stop me from doing that. You know, like, that's a perspective you can do. And uh, as always, though, there is like, you know, it, the specific when you get to the specifics of the situation it's like okay you know these are the good they're they're the good guys uh but like yeah the, the mayans are pretty like pretty noble and heroic although they don't they don't do much except manage the source of doc's wealth throughout the book i don't know if they come back and play a big role at any point um but they're certainly key to his origin and um so his father decided to sort of raise his son to be and and uh doc was born on a boat off the coast of hidalgo by the way shortly after he discovered this uh this uh, secret um, society. Another another uh, sort of weird, you know, absence of women from the series uh, where uh, his mother is basically never mentioned at all. Um, she, no, she's not even named. Yeah. She apparently died giving birth to him. I believe uh, later writers have often concluded that Doc was like half uh, indigenous South American. Uh, like yeah, that, that, that he's actually from that... Uh, that- tribe of mayans right right that that was his mother was from that tribe and and, and that's why he's bronze because they never explain that other than him having a tan but right, right yeah exactly and it, it sort of it does make uh, it does make everything go down a little easier uh, by the way at one point uh, as i understand it there was some discussion of doing a modern man of bronze film with um uh dwayne johnson uh which would that would be good casting i have to admit <laughs> yeah i believe it was going to be set in the 30s it would have been like a period piece and right. shane black was involved as a direct right, right, director right it fell apart but uh yeah so did black adam another number of times and that got made and, and look how well that did <laughs> yeah uh you know it's it's uh, uh it changed the balance of power in, in the, the dc, DC universe, universe forever and uh uh sorry <laughs> yeah it is actually interesting that Johnson, if he was attached, didn't want to push that through because that's much more of a classic. I mean, I guess it's not as much of a clear cut superhero story and he wanted to do that. But I mean, Doc Savage has got to be the most flattering role you can possibly play because. Uh, no, but I, I'm saying it could still happen because yeah, yeah. like uh, Black Adam was in like um, planning stages for like 15, 20 years, like a really long time. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's true. It's true. It could. Um, anyway, it's it's. Uh, but it, yeah, that would be suitable. Although I don't, I don't feel like Doc has. To, I mean, he's he's portrayed as a giant, so I guess that's where it's coming from. Um, and yeah, he's, yeah. The first book says he's only six feet, but he that changes uh, <laughs> a lot of inconsistencies. But uh, he's generally around between six four and six eight, so yeah. he's quite a big guy. Right, and he's supposed to be like physical perfection, basically. Um, so extremely muscular and everything. Um, yeah, his and, father taught him an exercise routine that he has to do for two hours every day. Um, that includes uh, physical exercise, which mostly seems to be like pushing his muscles against each other, like mm-hmm. uh, like Charles Atlas. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a huge thing, and I mean, interesting that it, this was again the 30s. Uh, that was big in the yeah, as you say, that's the Charles Atlas technique in the 1950s, and I know for a while they were big on like that isometric form of exercise. I I don't know. I mean, I I don't think there's anything wrong with it i don't i don't think that wouldn't make you muscular i guess but i I do have to feel like actually doing push-ups and pull-ups is probably better for your lats and so forth but who knows i have no idea i'm I'm not a (laughs) not in shape and never have been but uh, (laughs) um 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, and also um, various mental exercises, including uh, uh, identifying uh, smells from vials and stuff. Um, uh, and apparently it's exhausting even watching him do this. So. Yeah. Yeah, so like the idea is that uh, his father basically created this foundation and this council to raise his son, um, and uh, and to create it to you know kind of uh, raise him as the ultimate ideal of humanity, uh, which is so like to just be the perfect mental and physical specimen imaginable, as we we're saying, um, and he becomes an expert in almost every field, not necessarily every field. For some reason, apparently they emphasize that he's he can't cook. That's the one thing he's not good at, apparently. Um, and he's he's uh, there's one or two other things that he's not great at. Uh, so he's not, like, absolutely inhumanly perfect on everything. He doesn't know anything about women because his father didn't teach him anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's that's dwelt on quite a bit in, in Farmer's biography, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that... It's, but it is a thing. It, it's definitely... And again, it, it is intentional on the part of Street and Smith. We'll get, we'll get to his cousin Patricia Savage later, but, like... You would think that the main female recurring character would be his love interest, and it's his cousin, right? And again, it's kind of like they were hedging their bets, but it it feels like a, a dictate from the publishers of like, yeah, he doesn't get involved with with girls in any kind of real way. Now, other other the other char- some of the other characters do, uh, or at least they chase women. Again, there's no oh s- uh, monk and. and- Monk and Ham are, right. are apparently very successful with the ladies. Yeah, exactly. So it does, like, it happens. So it's kind of like, there's almost a push and pull there of, like, on the one hand, oh, girl, our, our audience think girls are gross, so maybe we won't get into it that much. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute, they're teenagers, they're going to be old enough to be like, hey, a girl, you know? Like, so we have to kind of, like, not scare them away is kind of the uh, the feeling you get about women in these books, you know, that... that uh, yeah. yeah, and... Uh, and- Pat Savage is like, um, she's, you know, described a, a very, you know, yeah, she's depicted beautiful. as very uh, alluring and attractive. And it's it, it's obviously um, uh, and very successfully, apparently, uh, to draw in that audience. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, also, I mean, you know, they, so she's a fun character in her own right yeah. as well. You always want to have I mean, the, the it is pretty classic in the pulse that you want to have a beautiful woman on the cover if you can get one on there at all. Um, and uh, so Pat is a good uh, way to get that. I mean, there were other female characters, you know, gorgeous dames that show up throughout the series as well. Um, it's like with uh, Conan, actually, which again, you haven't I know you haven't read them, but like they there was a period where Conan was just co- constantly like meeting up with random women and going on and they would just join him for an adventure and then you never hear from them again and there's like not bond. yeah yeah bond with conan he, he i don't think he i don't think he really got romantically involved with them they were just there because then they could be on the cover as these scantily clad <laughs> dames basically right like i that's that's pretty obviously the mentality that they did anyway but again there's sort of uh, a-, a friend described uh, uh doc savage in the the famous five or the fabulous five or whatever you want to call them his assistants which we'll get into yeah as like uh, a polycule and doc's like the asexual in the group <laughs> that's surprisingly accurate yes um yeah so um well so okay so uh, as you say let's uh, get into that there's he's um he becomes like the greatest uh of at everything especially being a doctor uh so medical and surgical stuff is is, is sort of a special forte and he can do absolute you know magic with uh 
with surgery and, and medical stuff, but uh, he's also... <laughs> Which we'll get into. Yes, and that does become <laughs> one of the weird, uh, uncomfortable things underlying this whole uh, thing. Uh, but um, he's also, you know, expert chemist, expert electrician, inventor, um, and he surrounds himself with these people named the Famous Five, who, um, as you mentioned, so it's uh, uh, Rennie, Johnny, uh, um, Long Tom, and Monk and Ham. Monk and Ham being the two probably most... Uh, memorable characters. Apparently, they do not show up in every book. All, all five of them don't show up in every book. They just come, yeah. They come I, and go. I all the ones that I had, uh, they were all in. But uh, um, yeah, those are still fairly early. Apparently, they like um, all of them, but uh, uh, Monk and Ham basically drop out by the by the last like couple dozen. You know, dozen or so. Uh, yeah, I, I, it sounds like yeah. They're the, Monk and Ham definitely get the 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 bulk of it because they're the sort of uh, they're the two most memorable sidekicks. But I I I think they're at least like apparently there's a lot of things where he'll mention like Rennie's yeah. oh Rennie's in uh, in uh, you know Bangkok right now doing something and, yeah or they'll like, take I a think, he'll take uh, a phone call from them or something and but like they're they're still around but they're not joining him on every adventure basically yeah I think Farmer mentions Rennie gets a mention in the last book but doesn't appear mm-hmm. but uh, Ham and and Monk are in it so yeah yeah, yeah. but it, it definitely had to be Monk and Ham as the two big ones so uh, their Monk and Ham are um, uh, Ham is his lawyer uh, um, uh, I forget their full names um they're only known as ham and monk those are their nicknames um yeah they they do have longer names but they're not important yeah <laughs> actually monk's real name is i do remember it's andrew blodgett mayfair but like literally he they he joke he jokes in the first book that he's literally forgotten his own name because no one would ever call him anything but monk uh because he looks like a big monkey basically um he's a sort of a he's he's he, he looks neanderthaline he's apparently like the ugliest guy in the world uh and literally and his, his arms are literally longer than his legs yeah yeah he's he's a he's a big yeah a caveman type uh just total totally ugly uh guy and apparently um in the, again in the first book he's described that they get into fights and scrapes all the time and doc always you know operates and makes that you, you know, makes their skin and no sign of wounds skin as smooth as a baby except monk refuses that he wants the scars to stay so people can know that he's been in fights and makes it more intimidating basically um and he's, he, you know, he's a, he's actually really smart. In particular, his, his specialty is chemistry. Um, he's a he's a brilliant chemist. He's uh, the second best chemist in the world. Right. Yeah. It's it's, it's always these guys. The the fabulous five. The famous five are the best at every. The second best at everything in the world. With Doc being the best of everything. And that that always like because uh, I. I I hadn't actually read any Doc Savage till till recently, um, but I, you know, he's he's in the he's in the ether. Mm-hmm. Um, you know about him, especially um, in you know, reading stuff we do. Um, but um, that that's one of the you know he's the best at everything, and even his assistants are only second best. And it feels like. I don't know. Yeah, why do you, you have, have a team them around? Book, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they do, you know, do errands for him. They they are obviously his friends, and you know, um, they they do get save him occasionally. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it feels like if I were to uh, uh, make a change, it would be 
Doc's the best at everything except these five fields, right. and he's the second best at them. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it makes them feel like when you're introduced that way. You, you I, I had the same thought. It's like, well, doesn't that make them a little redundant? Like if Doc's just better at all of this stuff, but they're still there with him. Um, of course, the again, it's kind of this uh, basic brute appeal of like, well, I'm surrounded by the best, but I'm still better than all of them. You know, like <laughs> to, to make you feel better. But it is true that like uh, he needs other people to do things and to be, and as you say, to be his friends, right? Like that is the that that is really at the end of the day what it's about. It's about companionship and stuff like that. And yeah, like it, it's one thing to say, well, he was the best, and the others were just ninety nine percent of the way there. But it's like in practice. Having someone around to bounce ideas off of and to to stimulate ideas like it's 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 funny because this series would seem to be like a a peon to uh you know being the idealized uh individual like the 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 ubermensch and everything like that but at the same time it's also about how no man is an island and you need a team around you and you're improved with friendship and you're improved by engaging with society and your fellow man there's like a very interesting tension there that actually i think um because it yeah like it like you you can say oh he was just the best of the best but whenever people write genius and and excellence in stories uh when you're just sort of superficially writing it's always well he was the best and his mental capacity was at 100 he used 99 percent of his 40, brain you know he had 42 phds yeah. which is a thing that that's useful yeah exactly apparently. yeah <laughs> somebody joked that i think uh, bruce banner in the in the marvel universe in the movies is described as having seven phds and anyone who's been in academia goes okay that's both insane and useless like it doesn't actually mean yeah. anything it just makes it just, him sound like smart. It, it, it makes him look bad if anything if you actually know about it. yeah right it means like he, he can't make up his mind on a specialty he, yeah exactly um and and uh, so it's it you know you write and it's funny because this is the kind of thing that the likes of uh, a certain guy who owns the former twitter.com um like that's clearly the kind of thing that inspires him right and and, mm-hmm. and the idea of like well i'm the genius and i have full brainal capacity of excellence and you know like it's 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 a stat like it's dungeons and dragons stats right and if i get yeah. to if i get to uh 20 intelligence and dexterity i can unlock the special codes that will let me blah 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 but that's not how intelligence works it's not how anything works it's not how socialization works right and and i mean to in a weird way to their credit in these books um they do they do kind of reflect that even though that's not that's not what the text is saying but it's what the story that's being told is saying like you need your friends and and you're and you're improved by um group engagement basically oh yeah but uh oh i i just wanted to just on the you know uh the idea of of team and like i i have i make a comic called the apex society and i one of the major characters is rex roman who's uh, clearly like visually modeled on doc savage um uh except he's from a um um secret a hidden society of um romans at the antarctic yeah and he's um He's like seven foot, you know, seven foot four or something, and uh, uh, like albino white skin. Um, but you know, his his shirt's constantly getting ripped. He's got the the widow's peak, you know, all the Doc Savage cover stuff. Right. Um, but um, 
I did not make him a genius intentionally. Like an early script I wrote for it had a reference to like he has a reputation as a genius, but I took it out because it just seemed unnecessary because it's a team book. There's other characters that can be geniuses, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, there's lots of different ways. Yeah, like it's it's it, uh, yeah. It, it, the idea of of just having friends. It, it, in in many ways, the books are like friendship is the real superpower. Um, and uh, anyway, so back like yeah, just to finish uh, up talking about uh, Monk. So yeah, Monk uh, uh, is so he's actually a genius, but he's he he likes to fight, and that's clearly the way in which he's he's also the most bloodthirsty one because um, early on, apparently in the first two books, he does kill Doc Savage, uh, but then he develops kind of a code against killing, which is another thing that Superman has. Um, yeah, it's not so much like he'll kill in self defense and not feel bad about it, but he. he- takes pains to not kill when it's not necessary yeah um he uses um uh mercy bullets which uh contain a a a toxin which just knocks you out which um that would kill a bunch of people but anyway yeah uh, because you know not less than lethal uh weapons are called less than lethal you know not (laughs) non-lethal right right yeah, and 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 then there's the crime college, which we'll definitely get to. Uh, but it's it's a way of you know trying to be you know um, humanitarian. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I feel like it it strangely makes him like a worse person. Yeah, than I, like the shadow, yeah, who just like. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, that okay. So we'll get into that in a minute. Let me just let's uh, let's just talk about Ham. Um, it's actually oh, sorry. His, so his name is Theodore uh, Brigadier General Theodore Marley Brooks, aka Ham. Uh, he's known. Um, uh, the reason he's called Ham is that uh, he was f- the one case he lost was that he was uh, framed for stealing hams. Uh, ham when they were when they were both in um, in the army during World War One, which is how they all met. By the way. Uh, they were apparently all in a prison camp together, and uh, and uh, Doc got them to uh, launch an escape, and and they became uh, bonded together. But yeah, so Ham was um, as a prank. He was he was framed for stealing hams, uh, and so uh, and he could Monk, never prove that Monk did it, but it's pretty obviously pretty obvious that he did. Yeah, and uh, that was sort of, and in fact, that's kind of the basis of their rivalry uh, for all. And uh, but he's a lawyer, by the way. That's that's why he's. Um, that that's his skill is that he's a attorney. So apparently, also Doc Savage is a better lawyer than he is too. By the way, um, but um, yeah, he he I, also walks around with a sword cane, which has a um, um, chemical agent on it, which knocks you out as well. Right, because again, just like again, and he's he, they do apparently talk about how the other. Uh, members of the team are like well well let's let's just kill this guy and doc's like no we must not kill them so that's why you know doc gave him this uh uh stuff on the the substance that would uh so he can use a sword cane but it only knocks you out it doesn't kill you yeah um anyway but monk and ham like have this uh love affair slash rivalry that runs throughout the books where they're just constantly like insulting each other and play and pranking each other and trying to one-up each other um but like early on and i think the second book uh ham thinks monk is dead and he's just he's in he's rending his garments and saying oh i loved him so much he was great and then monk pops up and he's like oh you really is that true is that you know and so of course then he's like oh you idiot i was trying to be nice blah 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 um but it's yeah it's obviously the whole yeah fighting it's a very fun love. dynamic and uh like very very um 
I'm not sure if there's slash fiction about these two, but there probably there, is. <laughs> yes. Um, well, it's, and it's it's definitely like um, um, Spock and McCoy sort of deal, or like um, um, the yes. thing and the Human Torch. You know, I, like, I, 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 I was going to say those exact things. Yeah, especially Spock and McCoy. Like they're very clearly based on Ham and Monk uh, of the 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 dry, refined intellectual and the uh, like the the guy who's like a belligerent. Obviously slightly differences in the characters but it's that uh smart guy versus uh man of the people kind of uh attitude between the two yeah and and with the, with the sort of square-jawed hero in between that's definitely kirk spock and mccoy on star trek um so you can see how the, like that that influenced one of many ways in which this clearly influenced a bunch of people yeah and there, there are a lot of like ham and monk are the best parts of these books uh from what I, you know the ones i've read mm. they're 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 just their dynamic is i mean i wasn't expecting it yeah yeah it's it's it, and apparently like there's sort of there my my general of course we did there's 181 of these things plus all the assorted spin-offs and other appearances and things um so naturally we didn't come anywhere close to reading them all um but my general understanding is that the first ones were really pounded out fast uh once they started to really catch on um dent at least kind of took started to relax a bit and take his time with them a bit and uh that it's generally agreed that, and and honestly they're pretty good they're pretty like they're not great writing but they're they're very page turny like they they really grab yeah you. um and it sounds like he sort of tried to tweak it and get a little more interesting with what could be done and sort of change up the formula a little and certainly he would do anything like there were certain things that repeat themselves like he keeps finding lost civilizations um and there's always like some horrible new death new form of killing is often what kicks it off um and there's also like sort of unfortunately uh orientalist uh villains are occurring trope as well um and apparently but apparently yeah they got a little more sophisticated as they went along and then uh leading into the world war ii years apparently he started emphasizing more uh like scientific detecting rather than like really huge freebooting adventure stuff um there's still some of that but it's a little bit more focused and in fact i think the name of the magazine actually changed to doc savage science adventures or something like that um so that like it it went through different phases this was about uh, a little over uh 15 years uh, that the the books were published and then they 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 tapered off. Then in 1964 uh, they were reissued as a bunch of paperbacks, which is kind of in as much as they came back and and got lodged in the culture. That's what as with Conan and Lovecraft and various other uh, pulp guys who kind of might have been forgotten in the 50s, they made a, a resurgence in the 60s. So, and there was a uh, movie made in 1975 which right. I watched. Uh, it's not very good. It has some moments, but it's it's uh, it's playing it for for camp, but the wrong kind of camp, if that makes sense. Yeah, like it feels like it's just doing Batman sixty six, but with a subject that doesn't really suit it. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'd heard. Like, and even um, um, uh, Farmer, when he's writing about it, says like, "Oh, apparently the current." Uh, generation enjoys them for their campy qualities because they're quote bad books um and that seems to have been what inspired the movie like that that encouraged yeah yeah i mean it like the the director michael anderson did like the dam busters and logan's run and stuff mm. so i i don't know it just well it's probably it, it, it has 
it was probably like a producer who was like, well, the kids love campy weirdness in this. In, yeah. You know. So like it, it, like a sequence where he's fighting the villain at the end, it would like have the villain do a martial arts stance and like it would, uh, write the type of martial art he's using at the bottom of the screen, like, uh, Taekwondo, Kung Fu, <laughs> karate, you know, it's just sort of dumb. Um, I don't know. That on paper that doesn't sound so bad. That sounds Yeah, bad, but... just in practice. It, it just felt like I yeah. don't know. Um and um Well, I, I mean it, it did the the Monk and Ham thing fairly well. It had th- those two uh characters. It it had their relationship fairly um fairly well transposed. Um I I was annoyed personally at the like the movie set in 1936. Um but they didn't bother making it look like 1936. People are just <laughs> yeah. dre- like Doc Savage at one point just walks out in like John Travolta's like Saturday Night Fever costume, like the white <laughs> white suit uh, with like really big collars. I mean, I, I, well, that's I don't a, know. That's not that's an interesting point because like um, it definitely seems like once you get into the 60s and most of the 70s, like you never stopped having like old school pulpy adventure stories but the general approach was the idea that it, like camp like i think i think there was something in the culture that made it, again because you know because of everything that happened in the 60s and hippie culture and counterculture and everything that like square jawed action heroes were like and i mean they're not complete it's not wrong to say this in some ways that it's kind of it reflects a bit of a regressive st- uh, attitude and and like the way to appreciate it's to subvert it and campify it you know like that that's what that was like a deliberate thing that was happening in the 60s where yeah it was it was understood that you were kind of playing uh play, like that was how that was the filter through which you saw old school adventure stuff and if you played it straight it wasn't you know people weren't uh people weren't as interested and then star wars i'm not saying spent- you had to play it straight just i don't know the the way they went about it just didn't seem suited mm-hmm yeah, I, um, that's fair enough. I mean, that's the general. I mean, attitude. there's some the, jokes that even like would work. It just doesn't feel like it fits in in this story. Like um, uh, after Doc Savage gives his the speech, basically the same speech uh, you you read up uh, the second part. Um, you know the uh, what was it? Uh, uh, I will his creed. I, yeah, his, his credo. Creed. Yeah. Um, I will. Uh, after he says that, um, and he's just in the room with with the, his five friends. Uh, the soundtrack has like uh, a crowd clapping and cheering. Yeah, yeah. It, well, that's just it. It's the kind of thing of like, oh, the kids would laugh this off the screen if we played it straight. So we gotta like wink at them so they know they're in the joke. I mean, even like this is what happened to James Bond, right? Like he's a fairly serious yeah. adventure hero. But again, and I mean again, like if there's a character you're gonna see as like embodiment of the establishment and the man and like all these bad. Uh, all these bad ideals in some ways that the, the, that the youth of the sixties were pushing against it's someone like James Bond. So if you play it up for camp and, and kind of make it wild and crazy, then like it's, there's a bit of a cushion there as it were. Um, yeah. But the aesthetics really bothered me. Like doc Savage's, uh, suit, as I said, there, there's female characters who just have like seventies hair, uh, and makeup and, yeah. uh, like they're not, <laughs> There, there was, uh, and the technology was mostly just modern stuff, which actually sort of fits because Doc Savage was always ahead of his time with technology. Mm-hmm. Like, right. he had radar before it was actually invented in the real world, which right. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, the, but it was it all like it was just a modern helicopter, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like it was they 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 didn't try to make it look like diesel punky or you know. Well, again, as we would say today. Yeah, there's a- except for one moment where uh, towards the end where he his answering machine literally records the message onto a onto a, like a vinyl record. That mm. was funny. Well, there's and that was actually like. look cool so i wish they'd done more of that well there's that that i mean that's something else and that leads into something i kind of want to talk about like the uh the idea that um like again dealing with the 60s it's like if something was set in the past and it was like there was a very anti it's hard to believe nowadays but there was kind of an anti-nostalgic trend in some senses in terms of american culture there was maybe like a maybe there were certain aspects of nostalgia that people would romantify like lord of the rings was you know the back to nature kind of stuff uh in the 60s counterculture but the idea of like presenting someone from the 30s from world war ii as as cool and hip like like that was as as that that would have been very much pushed back against in the 60s again that's why something like george lucas sort of reintroduced in the culture in the late 70s and 80s where it was like oh we can have this retro adventure and it's it's kind of its own thing and it like well, that that that's cool like the whole american graffiti thing but like j- going back to before the 60s was a big thing in the late 70s and 80s and i think that's why it became okay to do like classic pulp stuff basically oh uh, wait one more thing about the movie mm-hmm. they included the uh, crime college which i i guess we should just get into okay well, yeah let's get into the crime college yeah it, and i mean just the larger idea there as we've discussed i mean there's a bit of a there's a bit of a eugenics uh, aspect to it right from the start which of course was literally something that people believed in in the early 20th century as you know well-meaning people kind of believed in it in some ways they thought we could improve you know the 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 human species basically via science uh and of course that took very very dark turns most of the 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 worst people on earth uh were inspired by this in some capacity and uh and uh, i mean so it's hard not to read the stories from that angle uh nowadays without kind of going hmm that's creepy and the worst is probably the crime college so uh, yeah do you want to mention talk about the crime college okay uh so um basically uh doc savage performs or has performed uh or has like others perform a surgery on criminals to take away their criminality like brain surgery it's not a lobotomy but uh it might as well be (laughs) yeah it's apparently like removing a gland which causes criminality which is nonsense yeah if i'm not mistaken there's a superhero from this era and he was probably at post doc savage who like he develops a potion that like literally sweats out all the uh, the impulses that causes crime and it turns him into like <laughs> and in addition to you know making him like psychologically ideal it sweats out all of his like it turns him into a muscular superman basically like it's this idea of like again very very messed up idea of oh if you're you know physically if you're mentally perfect you're you're also physically perfect you know and if you're yeah. if you're physically if there's something wrong with you physically it's it reflects your mental capacity which has always been a big problem in uh in in culture unfortunately it's one of the reasons i never really bothered reading doc savage honestly and the ones I did read didn't include that aspect, so I was able to sort of ignore it and have fun with them. But uh, it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. So yeah, the idea is that yeah, you can he can operate on the people and make them. Apparently, one of the stories has um, 
someone trying to break into the crime college and learn the secret so he can reverse what happened to the crime college and that there was one guy who didn't it didn't it doesn't always take apparently there's a couple of villains yeah there's one case that didn't take um and um yeah they're they're trying to figure out a way to reverse it or to like perform it like make the procedure so you could take a regular person and turn them into a criminal right and it was he literally wants to turn all the like the powerfully placed men into criminals and i'm like okay what what's the difference there you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that's like if you want to solve criminality you know it's you're gonna have to you know solve the social problems <laughs> yeah and i mean it, it's funny because you can definitely see how well-meaning this is it's like no instead of killing criminals i turn them into respectable citizens and, and they became his like his his like again they're part of his team in addition to the the fabulous five he's got uh the famous five rather he's got um you know all these uh like many many contacts and agents all over the world right um like yeah and and, the, and, and some of these all are his calls criminals. are screened and they're it's staffed by people who graduate graduates of the crime college yeah exactly and even the crime college itself is like the guards are former criminals or whatever and and the people who, who work on it are, are criminals um and I mean, again, it speaks to the idea of like, well, we can make them better. We don't just discard them, which is nice. But, you know, we do it by operating on their brains. I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> you know, as, as we've as we've said, it's it's uh, it's definitely one of the reasons I think why people when they start to look at Doc Savage and go, oh, we should adapt this. They look at the crime college stuff and they go. Ugh. But at <laughs> the same time, I think that's actually something you could really explore and get into and talk about as a as an idea right like like it's there might be a way to make it work i don't just mean as a throwaway aspect but like you could center the that as part of the idea of like can you you know but i feel like that would require turning doc into a villain which he doesn't really function like it would just be a different character basically i I don't know anyway yeah like i yeah i i feel like um i don't know uh i can see a batman villain working on like being a doc savage uh, like turning bane into that like he <clears throat> he performs lobotomies on people as in, in addition to yeah. the other stuff he does because bane's sort of like meant to be like yeah. a pulp character yeah and um, i mean to be clear so i i think um i can't remember if it was farmer or one of the other books i read about because i read another uh, couple of books about doc savage whether or articles and they mentioned that um like to be fair, everyone who goes to the crime college is someone who tried to kill Doc personally, and he knows them personally that they're evil. This isn't like the exact same as the carceral system. It's literally like, look, I could have just killed you, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do something to make you better. Basically, it's just very yeah. creepy the way the things that yeah. he does. You know, um, something else I just wanted to mention. I, I, I. I touched on it a bit when we were talking about the way culture has shifted from pre-war to post-World War II and then back in the 60s and then back in the late 70s. Um, Doc is like a pregenitor. Like the 30s are an era where um, you can have like fantasy, essentially fantasy, although it's usually of a certain type. Usually, It's usually associated with horror, uh, people like Lovecraft and so on, um, or, you know, vampires or what whatnot or... or, or ghosts and ghouls um and uh you know we've talked about karnaki and so on um and of course there was a bit of a, a rage for uh as as we discussed in the karnaki episode of sort of scientification of the occult like maybe there's maybe there's some science that we can explore there um but dealing with like mediums and and uh uh, uh, uh seances and things like that um but um 
and but, but like with a bit of a scientific overlay. Um, and and by the time you get to especially the forties, I think, and then the fifties, um, as I've mentioned before, it, it feels like fantasy really kind of goes out of American pop culture. Uh, it's maybe reintroduced in the sixties when, like, for instance, Lord of the Rings becomes this massive hit in American paperback, um, but like. There's fairly little, even you know, in in Marvel Comics, as I said, Thor uh, is, you know, is explained as being sort of su- super scientific, being from another yeah. dimension instead of or literally an alien being, or yeah, whatever they, yeah, whatever they are. <laughs> they switched it around uh, a, a bit early on, but yeah, yeah. And also, he was he was originally Blake Nelson turning into like taking on the form of Thor, right? Before they retcon that into he was exiled to Earth as Blake Nelson. Right. It's it's all these... Uh, Donald Blake, you mean, not Blake Nelson. Uh, sorry. Who's <laughs> Blake Nelson? I don't remember who Blake Nelson is, but yes, uh, I know the name. Um, but yeah, it's... it's uh, Like, that was a big thing, and I think, like, in Doc's era, in the era of the, the first Doc Savage stories, you could still have a fair amount of, like, fantasy... Uh, but uh, like, and there was definitely a thing. For instance, in the '30s, they often would have you know a supernatural horror story, and then at the last minute they'd make it a dream or a, or explain it with science because of the censors. Basically, uh, I don't think there was any similar uh, constraint on prose. Uh, but you can definitely see, like a lot of the Doc Savage books are like, oh, he encounters some purely supernatural horror, like a guy who eats souls, and uh, like there's a you know, a guy who claims to be thousands of years old. Actually, I think some of the people, I know that in Fear K, they encounter people who are hundreds of years old because they found a life-extending um, drug, right? Yeah, well, uh, the ending of the book suggests that he's he's only lived for 150 years because he's, he's just uh, excellent shape on the island. That the drug is only like, it helps, but it's not like, uh, de- you know, it's not actually the fountain of youth. So they actually do... Uh, walk it back at the end oh okay yeah yeah that's what i mean like there's a tendency to just sort of walk everything back and i mean you can do some pretty crazy fantastical stuff and explain it as pseudoscience right um but um and there's there's certainly science that's basically that may as well be magic in the doc savage stories a lot and as i say there's yeah like but lost... he never he doesn't fight aliens mm. like that's not a thing that really comes up yeah which is possibly the last book apparently yeah, I know the last book has him fighting theoretically the literal devil <laughs> or like demons from hell. And then again, they're like, again, there's maybe a, a, a trap door where it's no, no, that was just some delusional people or whatever. Uh, but like it's written right up till the end. Like, yeah, you're fighting literal demons who are trying to escape hell, you know, like and that's the tendency in the in the books is just to to lean heavily on the fantastic and supernatural seeming stuff and then. It'll get explained. But, I mean, Doc is, like, based very heavily in science. So, like, it does make sense that they would do that because he's always, like, using... Yeah, like Sherlock Holmes. Like, Sherlock Holmes is always going to find a rational explanation because that's the kind of character he is. Right. And in Doc's case, it's more like, you know, finding applied... (laughs) Sherlock Holmes is uh, pure science and uh, Doc Savage is applied science. Uh, but it's the same thing. He's yeah. He uses engineering and and technology. So it is just interesting that like in many ways that could be seen as the the vanguard of the tendency in in this kind of pulpy fiction not to have pure fantasy. Um, so because like the the shadow is essentially supernatural, right? And he's he's contemporary. Uh, he he took on more supernatural elements by the end, apparently. But uh, 
he didn't have powers at the beginning. Well, he can cloud, uh, they, but he can cloud men's minds. I mean, isn't that that's a introduced movie? on the radio show and was later adapted into the books? But originally, he was just a master of disguise. Oh, okay. Um, um, I th- I, it, it, it went back and forth. Like occasionally, apparently, he could like change the shape of his face just by thinking. So mm. you know. It, <laughs> It yeah. depends. Well, and, and um, I know a lot of those t- era, that era, they would do a l- hypnosis, would do a lot yeah. of heavy oh, lifting yeah. he could for fantasy. People. Yeah. So it was like, oh no, it's he, he, he like he'll like shoot lightning bolts from his hands, and it's like that was hypnosis, which I could instantly apply to someone as soon as they walk into the room, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and we, we say Doc Savage is grounded, like it's like <laughs> yeah, ba- like it, it has, like the the second book involves a uh, a gas which can disintegrate. It apparently tears atoms apart, and uh, it said explicitly that uh, scientists were were wrong that 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 wouldn't actually cause a big explosion, <laughs> which is very funny. Yeah, um, for obvious reasons. In 1945, um, Oppenheimer pops up and goes, "Excuse me, actually." Uh, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's um, but no, but I mean, uh, but, but the it's it's a it's a mindset though. It's an ideology yeah. of like, well, no, science even if you have these crazy expectations of what science can do, it's the idea but science will do it versus like yeah. no, there are things man cannot understand and is not meant to know, which is the yeah. occult. Yeah. And the second one also has dinosaurs, of course. Right, yes. Well, again, it was that it was the idea. It wasn't I mean, it was always far-fetched, but there's the idea of like, well, what if there was a valley somewhere where dinosaurs didn't die out, you know? Like it's yeah. it's kind of within the realms of Quote, unquote plausibility if if you stretch your brain a lot but yeah exactly yeah. okay yeah. so the dinosaur ones and i just have to bring this up yeah i know um <laughs> there um so you know how old like paleo art used to depict uh the tyrannosaurus rex as like standing on its hind legs uh with its tail balancing like a kangaroo well yep. this book sort of extrapolated that and said if he stands like a kangaroo, he must hop like a kangaroo. So the Tyrannosaurus Rex literally jumps around like a <laughs> kangaroo, and it keeps calling it like the the um, the prehistoric kangaroo, the gigantic kangaroo. <laughs> just <laughs> it's so funny. It doesn't like I just can't like can't take it. I a uh, friend of the show Ing when I was talking about this said, "Yeah, I mean that, that's wrong, but like." Because you're working from like wrong first premises that darn it, that T Rex has stood like that, but like it kind of makes sense if if you think that they did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, it does make sense as a certain stance. I mean, there's a lot we know about T Rexes now, as I understand it. They kind of lifted their tails and things, but yeah, exactly. It's uh... yeah, they they did not uh, use their tail as as a balancing thing. Yeah. That I mean, it, except in the sense that it, like it stuck out and like yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I, yeah, didn't balance on the ground. Yeah, I I do feel like we need to give uh, them a bit of credit. Like we're kind of mocking it here for that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, you're going to have a lot of swings and misses. But as we as you mentioned, like the series did predict things that actually did happen uh, in Absolutely. one way or another. There were there were a lot of those, as you mentioned. Radar was predicted. Uh, I believe. Um, uh, uh, certain aspects of uh radio and so forth um i can't remember like at one point um farmer lists a whole bunch of things that were in the docs savage books before uh they were invented in real life and i mean it's maybe not hard that hard to say wouldn't it be cool if dot 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 but he seems to have had like a decent track record of just being like a little bit more precise about what kind of things might be uh created um yeah like a jules verne sort of deal like so, some things were 
work and make sense and others don't but like there's a there's a lot that sort of um does predict what comes later yeah just because it was so into science basically uh it's kind of the star trek thing i guess where they had like flip phone uh communicators and that influenced uh that may have influenced you know the real culture around everything you know um, um okay so one one of the inspirations behind doc savage um allegedly is a book by uh, Philip Wiley called The Savage Gentleman that was published in uh, 1931. And I decided to read that book this week, and it's it's fairly interesting. There's um, There are a lot of similarities. It's a very different kind of book. Uh, uh, Philip Wiley also wrote Gladiator, which we did an episode on. We might have mentioned this in that episode. I, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, he's, I think he's, we did. I think uh, He seems to have yeah. just a thing of just sort of predicting these big pulp you know pulpy uh things that would happening but do them in a really understated sort of um almost deconstructionist way right um yeah in this case it's sorry go on yeah it was like it was it was doing a subversion of it before it was a real thing right yeah um in this case it's about um a man uh, a newspaper tycoon named uh stephen stone uh, who um, his wife leaves him and he decides I just hate women now so he goes uh, to a, an island that he had um, happened upon uh, years earlier a deserted island uh, with a uh, uh, two uh, servants a, a crew on the ship and a a uh, black gentleman who's uh, portrayed fairly unfortunately like mm-hmm. he's he's a he's a good guy but he's portrayed as very stupid and his dialect is very uh, un, you know you know yeah yeah and uh um but anyway um so uh and he decides to raise his son uh with these two men on you know uh as like the perfect gentleman like he he brought all these books with him and he's going to teach this kid everything about about how to be a proper gentleman but not like tell him what women are for until he's like 15 oh boy and even then like not really being clear about it um, and so when um, uh, uh, the the boy grows up, he um, uh, goes to his name is Henry Stone, and he goes he finds his way back to civilization because a, a boat happens upon them, and he just um, he he finds himself shocked at at how much the world's changed, and just he can't deal with it. Um, he doesn't know how to like he sees a woman for the first time, and she just utterly well, you know, what would happen if a if a straight person saw a woman for the first time <laughs> at the age of 33, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um and um uh it, it actually uh he, for a lot of the book he's un- completely unable to function in in the real world and he refuses to. Like he does not want to um deal with like the depravity of modern society because he grew up with the expectations of a Victorian. Um but uh there's sort of a push in pull with uh whether he's right or whether the the other characters are right that um you know progress has been made and various things have gotten better um uh but anyway he finally um takes over his uh father's uh newspaper at the end of the book uh from you know the the criminals who run it uh through a bloody fight uh <laughs> like an extremely violent fracas at the end um so yeah, it's not a lot like Doc Savage, but there are various like mm. commonalities. The uh 
the domineering father raising him to be um like the perfect man um uh, specifically without women present <laughs> yeah um and uh the title the savage gentleman yeah. like just yeah it it there's you know yeah i can see it, the... and it's right before doc savage came out like it's a few two years before i think right it, it's it's hard to see this as a complete coincidence no of course and and i mean um i th- yeah, I I think that was discussed uh, in some of the stuff I read when we were doing Gladiator, how people were arguing over whether that was a coincidence or whether it was an influence. It's hard to believe it wasn't, especially when you consider then, like, Doc Savage obviously influenced Superman, and for that matter, Gladiator influenced Superman. And, you know, like, it's... it's uh, And Gladiator feels like it might have influenced Doc Savage to a certain degree, too. Uh, again, the superhuman aspect, and I'm going to raise my son to be the best, That's in that's in Gladiator as well. Yeah, um, it was in the um, air in the 30s, <laughs> basically. But. Yeah, I mean, uh, Farmer uh, in his genealogy of Doc Savage, uh, which we'll get yeah. into. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, uh, has uh, Doc Savage's mother's uh, maiden name is the same as uh, Henry Stone's mother's maiden name. I believe it was Larson. Yeah. Yeah. So you obviously like they have a different first name, but uh, that's probably a nod to that. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, let's talk about uh, Farmer and the Wold Newton universe then. Um, so, Speak of eugenics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Wold Newton universe, for those of you who aren't familiar, is the idea that uh, in I believe the late seventeen hundreds. Hang on. Sixteen hundreds. Oh, sixteen hundreds. Scarlet Pimpernel is a result of this, and he was in the late seventeen hundreds. So. Well, that's what I mean. Seventeen. Yeah, seventeen ninety five is supposedly when uh, a meteor. Str- uh, fell oh, near- really? Yes. That- I thought it was earlier. No. But- well, he does. Okay. See, he traces the genealogies back further. Uh, okay. The Scarlet Pimpernel would have been, um, yeah, around, like, so, yeah, the Scarlet Pimpernel's involved and his genealogy's involved, but he wasn't present for the Wold Newton meteorite, for instance. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's it's the idea that the meteorite fell uh, near a place named, called Wold Newton, Yorkshire, which is a real place, uh, that um, the radi- close enough to hit two carriage loads of people um and it caused uh genetics mutations in the occupants of two passing coaches due to ionization um that endowed their uh descendants with unusually high intelligence and strength uh as well as this is from wikipedia an exceptional capacity and drive to perform good or as the case may be evil deeds um and it is interesting that farmer talks about how like the two are very close together like justice and injustice because even the good guys uh if a lot of pulp stories don't care so much about man's law they care about a higher justice right um so yeah the idea being that um their they and their descendants then in, uh then spread uh these mutations that led to basically every fictional adventure hero you could think of for the next 200 years um and and uh, farmer creates like complex genealogies linking them all together. Yeah. Um, and uh, they sort of work if you don't look at some of the specifics that he very obviously fudges, like not like as a mistake. Like he's obviously has to make some corrections here and there to make the whole thing line up. Right. Uh, he actually like he has a big thing uh, about how because um, Pat uh, Savage, uh, Doc Savage's cousin. Um, is described as having the same coloring as Doc with bronze skin and, and golden eyes. But 
Oh, that's inconsistent. Originally, it was just the bronze hair because in the in the one I read, she just has bronze hair and isn't well, described beyond that. That's what yeah. Farmer plays up, and he says, "No, no, no, that was something that uh, they wrote into the stories later to make her cooler because genetically, it doesn't make sense that she would have the golden eyes because she wasn't from that one branch of the family that has the golden eyes because he's tracing the genetics of where yeah. the golden eyes came from, supposedly. Uh, and again, this ties into characters like." Um, like uh, Solomon Kane, Captain Blood, the Scarlet Pimpernel, as you said. Um, although Pimpernel wasn't, you know, present for the for the uh, thing, but it was um, uh, Professor Kane. When in a Kane would have been before too, right? Right. Yeah, he was. He was one of the progenitors of the Bold Newton. Uh, but you've also got Phileas Fogg, Bulldog Drummond, the Shadow, Sam Spade. Um, Kilgore Trout actually. <laughs> he he insists on jamming Kilgore Trout in there. Um, uh, Arsène Lupin, oh, yeah, not Lupin the Third, although probably Lupin the Third, uh, because he's supposed uh, to be. I'm the not descendant. sure he exists. No, no, he he would have existed in the seven. Yeah, yeah, but he wouldn't have been as big a deal in in America. As, no. yeah. So, but he is literally supposed to be uh, Arsène Lupin's grandson, right? Or yes, yeah. So that's automatically in there. Um, Nero Wolfe, a character we haven't mentioned much but he's another brilliant detective character philip marlowe all the great detectives basically and even like since dr moriarty is in there like so Sherlock holmes and dr moriarty are like eighth cousins according to this genealogy which i guess is i mean completely insane. yeah that's not i mean that's pretty far because like i believe like what was it george w bush and barack obama are third cousins no, uh, or dick something? cheney uh but yeah oh dick cheney yeah yeah they're they're related yeah Dick Cheney and Obama are third cousins. Mm-hmm. Was that it? Yeah, yeah. On his mother's side. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They are related. Um, and Fu, like, yeah. Anyway, so he's, and he's got like Fu Manchu and Natty Bumpo, who are you know not white people, obviously. Um, and he he associates it with like again, they they had to they had to marry you know someone Chinese going back up the line and so forth. And uh, but um, it's um. Yeah, so it's this complicated uh, genealogy that's basically trying to turn them all into superheroes. Um, I don't like the Wald Newton universe idea, honestly. Um, well, the central idea of them all being like actually related in a family, I don't like. Um, I I do like uh, obviously the metatextual, you know, combining different fictional universes together. I do that. Like that's my whole thing, basically, in my comics. Um, and it like it was a direct inspiration for like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Alan Moore has cited it as a direct inspiration. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And stuff like uh, uh, Anno Dracula. Um, but this, all, all that stuff's cool. But actually trying to make them one fa- or one or two families is uh, it's strained, and it also has a lot of unfortunate implications. Yeah, it, it's like it, yeah, the the idea of doing a League of the, the, you know this is the sort of original proto league of extraordinary gentlemen idea more or less um and it's um you know that that's fair enough as far as it goes that's that's fun and he he put a lot of work into thinking it through and uniting he does things like for instance doc savage's real name is wildman not savage um because he and wants his father to be, was actually a character who appeared in one sherlock holmes story yeah exactly he wants to tie it in in such ways that like oh yeah you you know that's what that's where that character came from and which again is something like moore does in league of Extraordinary gentlemen he has things like um um uh, uh the uh 
the villain in the uh, the third man, um, what's his name? Uh, Orson Welles. Harry friend. Lime. Harry Lime was also Bob Cherry of the school novels of the fifties, like that kind of thing. Like and, and also he, Big Brother. Yeah, exactly. Nineteen eighty four. Yeah, yeah. So he has to keep coming up with all these different like um, names of. Uh, uh, I, actually, I don't think he was technically Big Brother. I think he was because Big Brother. He's, he came after Big Brother in, in the time of, of. But yeah, so you've got this whole thing of um, of of like yeah, making sort of doing some contortions to link them together and stuff. Sometimes in clever ways. Um, uh, like I always like the way uh, Moore has um, uh, the night. Uh, Knight Industries, the founder of Knight Industries being uh, the father or grandfather of, uh, what is it, Bobby Knight from uh, Knight Rider? (laughs) Like, yeah. Because they also had a superpowered car. They also built a superpowered car, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And also that, um, like, um, uh, Gene, Gene, or Gen 1 or whatever, you know, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was uh, built by Knight Industries. Yeah, which is, yeah. So that kind of stuff is fun and clever. But um, the way farmer does it is a bit like concerning and it's i think it's because like he's definitely trying to tie it into superhero stuff which was like this is the mid 70s uh early to mid 70s like superheroes were really like the marvel era is the 60s but it really started to like slam in and become huge in pop culture and nerd culture kind of exploded in the early 70s uh the x-men got big at that time um and i think um provide a it it played into a sort of unhealthy attitude of like tying everything together and its bloodlines and its genetics because he talks a lot about genetics in his apocalyptic life like he talks about you know oh he's good like he he seems to buy into the crime college idea in a way like he acknowledges it's a bit weird but then he talks about like well it was his good breeding that made him so interested in fighting crime and also the fact that they're royalty right like they're all tied into nobility and royalty which is yeah they're related to the rassendels from uh, uh prisoner of zenda right and I mean, um, that's part of the premise of Tarzan in the first place. It's like, well, the nobility, which is funny because it's written by an American, but it's still the idea of like, well, this guy who had the right bloodlines of being superior would land in Africa and become the king of the jungle. Like, it's that kind of attitude that gets woozy as you start to think about it a little more. Um, and and it's not, I don't even think it's like intentional. I think it's a, it's like an, a thing that Farmer didn't, really think about that much it's just something that's like that lets him get to the thing that he wants to do which is tie everything together but it does reflect how some of these impulses to sort of to 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 create a family tree and so on and an appendix and 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 tie it in with like older styles of storytelling can be negative in some ways i guess i don't know yeah i mean i i and also, just some of it just doesn't fit. Like um, mm-hmm. uh, the one that bugged me was um, uh, in the genealogy. The Scarlet Pimpernel's wife uh, was a made-up character. Uh, we know who the Scarlet Pimpernel's wife is. She's a main character in most of his books. Right, right. Um, uh, and he just gives her a different name. And I, I guess what's her name? I Percy, guess maybe Percy Blakeney. Uh, per- uh, his name was Percy uh, Percy Blakeney, but uh, she was Marguerite Saint Just. She's hmm. like a main character in in the first book and several of the remaining right. ones and she's yeah. like mentioned in all of them yeah yeah she's uh, a major figure, so yeah. i don't know he could have remarried she could have died and he remarried or something i don't know if that's explained in one of the other Walt newton things but like i don't know it, it doesn't really fit mm, yeah and he obviously had read some of them because he mentions other characters like uh 
uh, Chauvelin is a is a member of the Walt Newton family. His yellow eyes pass on directly to Doc Savage through yeah, Doc right, Savage's right. mother's side. Yeah, exactly. So He's looking for characters that had yellow eyes, and that makes him go, "Aha! You see, they're all related." You know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it also doesn't really understand how you know inheritance works, <laughs> genetic yeah. inheritance. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's anyway. So it's it's uh, it's a bit unfortunate in that in that regard. Uh, but even as you say, yeah, putting that aside, it's also like it it does the thing of uh, shrinking the world. It's it's in a sense, it's the same basic idea of like when you do prequels and you find out that like, well, you know how it seemed like. Uh, I don't know. Um, well, everything about Indiana Jones happened on one afternoon. Yeah, apparently. exactly. Yeah, that was the one I was going to use. Indiana. And Jones. I know a, a lot of people like that scene because it's so like over the top in what it's doing. But yeah. I don't know. It it bugs me. Yeah, and just, the movie. The overall movie's fine, but that it, scene bugs me. It's also things like um, you know how there was a big clash between Darth Vader and Obi Wan Kenobi, and then they met again in Star Wars. Well, it turns out. There's a prequel, and they met again, and we never mentioned it. It's like we got to cram it in because we're doing a prequel, and you know, it's it, it undermines the original idea of like, well, these two are having a rematch now. You know what I mean? It's it's, yeah. it's the same thing of like, oh, it was all fated to happen, and it was all bound up together ages ago, and like like it, it's sort of the same thing that causes problems with prequels, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, is, is that you tie everything together? It's like wow! It's because the other thing about the Wald Newton universe is that not just like sure you're saying well they have these weird you know they're unusually smart and strong and everything because of this radiation, but they're also people to whom weird stuff happens unusually. Like like does that explain the fact that they keep having all these crazy adventures? Like that? Yeah, I mean some of them seek them out, but others it just happens to them. Exactly. Yeah. Like by a coincidence, they all became famous and important and powerful by running afoul of like like tar like how did that mean that Tarzan's parents were going to get lost in the jungle you know like, like that that's what made him special not the fact that he had these quote good genes although again that is actually kind of the idea yeah but like Tarzan had relatives who are like in the books who are like um yeah crappy yeah exactly so i mean it's it, it's uh, uh, you almost want to say the the real effect of the wold newton meteorite was that it was a reality distortion device and it it gave everyone weird luck <laughs> yeah but also like he's you mentioned superheroes but like and he does mention clark kent and lois lane at one point uh in connecting uh lois lane with margot lane which is fine but other otherwise superheroes are like as such are, are basically absent mm. um which makes sense, you know. They're uh, one like they're heavily copyrighted <laughs> yeah, in yeah. ways that even Tarzan. It, well, that's exactly yeah. it. Like that's the that's the reason for these crossovers going back to when they actually got started back in the early days of superheroes. Like it's because the company had all these characters and figured, hey, what if we put them all together? Then people would buy it. You know what I mean? That's it's as simple as that, right? Um, and then it's you know it's funny how you never they they never meet the characters that are still under copyright. You know despite Alan Moore's best efforts, I guess. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I mean, yeah, I, again, like I, I, my comic is about, uh, largely about public domain, uh, concepts interacting with each other. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like you have to one have make some comments on them Yeah. in a way that, uh, farmer doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and more definitely does. Sometimes I don't agree with the, uh, mm -hmm. the comments he's making, but, uh, he's definitely like, 
making points with these by right. using certain characters. Yeah, he's commenting um, on them and how they reflect the society of the time. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes it absolutely doesn't work, like his use of Gollywog in, in yeah, Black Dossier yeah. and stuff. Like, def, like right. <laughs> yeah, n- no. But, uh, yeah, no, no, I, I agree. But, I mean, Farmer was the not the first but the first to do something like this specifically so all he was all he was doing was just doing the appendixes basically um and and so you know that's that's all he had to do quote in in, in brackets but you're right yeah. and, like it doesn't add much to the actual mythos of doc savage i was actually a little surprised when i read apocalyptic life because for some reason i i had it in mind that it was a bit more of a fictional story or that it was going to like maybe uh develop like incidents that we didn't see and things like that and it doesn't really like if you've ever read um i really enjoy uh don rose's uh uncle scrooge's life and times i'm a big fan of carl burks's uncle scrooge characters and uh, donald duck comics um and uh uncle scrooge's life and times is literally like i'm gonna tell all the stories that scrooge references in his various uh adventures like saying oh yeah i found gold in the yukon and so i'll tell that story and that barks never told right um and it, it's really cool, and, and it does some of the same things that uh, he's doing here, except with Uncle Scrooge instead of Doc Savage, that uh, Farmer's doing. Uh, but um, it adds to the characters, and it, it, it it's not just a, a string of Easter eggs, right? It's not just a string yeah. of connecting the dots. It's literally like you see his character develop, and you see, you know, seeds being planted and stories being unfolding, and, and it does reflect, like ideas and a, and a world view in its own way and stuff like that yeah there, there's a bit of that like uh talking about how the doc savage books um um they uh, stopped focusing on gadgets during like the world war ii era um like he wasn't using gadgets and more just like he actually started using a gun and stuff like you know mm-hmm. with regular bullets and stuff and um farmer trying to sort of suss out why that that would be um without you know discarding them in as non-continuity or whatever. Um, like, he tries to do a bit of that, and there's a bit of, like... Uh, uh, like, Farmer explicitly says that the the fountain of youth, uh, or the, the, um, the, the plant that they find that uh, uh, extends life actually does work, and that they just said it didn't to uh, cover it up to avoid... Right. ...them having to manufacture it for everybody and causing overpopulation or whatever. Right. But that's also like that's connecting the dot. It's sort of like it's it's yeah. as they say fan wank, right? Like it's not doing he's not doing it just to sort of he, he postulates on some interesting stuff. But that the 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 ideas that he's throwing out are in service of making it all fit together rather than of making a larger point. Like the 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 facts that he's uncovering making a larger point in in the other way around, right? Yeah. Uh, he does have uh, farmer does have a book which I haven't read called uh, A Feast Unknown. Um, and followed by Lord of Trees and Mad Goblin, and they're um, basically what if Doc Savage and Tarzan were brothers? Right. Uh, their their original characters named um, uh, Doc Caliban and uh, Lord Grandrith, I believe. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, apparently, these have more more of that thing you're talking about, where because they are original stories, and like it's obviously they're they're quote original characters um so i don't know yeah and it looks like uh oh their father is jack the ripper okay um <laughs> okay <sure. laughs> you just gotta get it all in there yeah 
Um, and yeah, so I don't know, maybe that's more of what you're looking for than this, but yeah, I don't know. I, I will. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a cool idea that I think others have run with in more interesting ways. Yeah. I did like, uh, it starts off with like a biography of, uh, Lester Dent and it's, and it just suddenly starts talking about how, um, like out of nowhere just mentions that, uh, Lester Dent was hired by the real Doc Savage to, you know. Because he wants to I, talk I sort about of like that. He wants to talk about Dent, but he has he he wants to also the pre, the whole premise here is that Doc is real and not fictional. So like he has yeah, to, but I like the I like the way he introduces that sort of just springs it on you. Yeah, well, it's that's always the 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 Doctor Watson uh, technique, of course. That's that's the advantage of that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, and I've used that definitely too, like uh, as a way of like I have the Nectalope character and. Um, uh, I, I had him say that uh, he's hired a, a hack biographer back in France to cover this story, but he's going to cl- clean up some of the rough edges to avoid an international incident. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, referencing the fact that those books suck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The movie, uh, all his gadgets and, and vehicles and stuff were painted bronze, which was weird. Oh. <laughs> well, that's okay. Like, that's... Uh, that's kind of cool. Like in a, in a and you, it's a visual medium. You got to give him a little extra thing, and he's got it. I guess it just it reminded me. Like I, I made the joke that you know how the the Barbie movie supposedly they ran out of pink paint. Like there was a shortage of that particular um, shade of pink um, because they used so much on the sets. Uh, I feel like the same with with bronze for the Doc Savage movie in mm. in seventy five. Yeah. Um. I would like to see more Doc Savage stuff. I would like to see, you know, grappling with the crime college stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's possible that that some of these ideas are best dealt with with um, stand-in yeah. characters. Well, like Alan, that, that might just Alan Moore. Speaking of Alan Moore, of course, he created Tom Strong, which in many ways is Doc Savage uh done in a way that fits the modern era a little better it's uh, it's a really good comic if you haven't yeah, read it yeah D- tom strong is really fun yeah um uh oh uh yeah pat savage i i um uh dan i i forget Scotty. uh yeah he does lavender jack which is a really good web comic we're actually mutuals on twitter uh i should know how to pronounce his name anyway um he actually had a, a idea for like uh his own League of Extraordinary Gentlemen thing, where Pat Savage is like the the leader of the group. Mm. Yeah, and that, that's cool. that would I thought that was really interesting because yeah. uh, she she is like has a lot of her uh, her cousins' um, attributes, but at the same time is is a little more uh, vulnerable as a character. Like Doc Savage is a bit too perfect as a protagonist. Yeah, a lot of the times. Yeah, like um, it's hard, especially in a team setting. It would it might be hard to to write for that character. Yeah. Um, um, in the same way that like Alan Moore didn't want to use Sherlock Holmes in his League of Extraordinary right. Gentlemen. Right. Yeah. You you would overshadow the other characters too much. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Fair point. Yeah. It's always interesting where you can do like what you could do with, or or, or like side characters or like relic. You could do the the son of or the grandson of a character. You know, as with Lupin the Third, for instance. Yeah. Uh, that's always an uh, interesting. Twist. Yeah, and I I mean. I wish there were like Monk and Ham solo adventures, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be like fun just too. just them, like it, just the whole book of them just sniping at each other. Because, yeah. like I said, they're they're the best parts of these books, in my opinion. 
Oh, uh, I wanted to one more thing. Okay. So just as long as we're still recording. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. Uh, when I was talking about uh, Doc Savage to uh, a friend, uh, Peter Volfrank, who's uh, um, I don't think he, yeah he's not a friend of the show yet, but he may yeah, be. I know. Um, yeah, we we hang out. With um, uh, he mentioned uh, the the theory that Doc Savage is is autistic, and it actually sort of fits like his um. um the the weird trilling noise he makes uh very much feels like stimming to me uh sensory self stimulation sort of a uh, a way of focusing uh to drown out um hmm yeah that's interesting uh, over stimulation outside um it, it like uh, he does have a lot of autistic traits which is interesting definitely not intentional but uh yeah. um there's definitely ways of of uh, seeing yourself uh in, in Doc Savage, if you if you're autistic, I I can definitely see that. Hmm. Um, not necessarily the best representation, but not everything has to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is definitely. Well, hey, I mean, who who wouldn't want to be the Ubermensch, uh, super genius, uh, super physical? Person? Uh, I just the yeah the the lobotomies and eugenic yeah, stuff. Except it's... for that part, yes. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Well, as I say, I mean, you can at this point the character is sort of like you. You know, you you don't need to do Doc Savage when you have Indiana Jones. Like he's the world's moved on a bit from Doc Savage yeah. in some ways. And so, you know, like it's it, you can take what you like from the characters and because he is again, like I say, he's he's the idea of pulp in many ways. Yes. So, yeah. Well, we've reached the end of our latest super saga, citizens. So it's time to hop an airship back to the eighty-sixth floor. We have been Adam Prosser, the simian bruiser with a mug only a mother could love, and sword cane welding dandy fop Philip Rice, sparring eternally to mask affection. Uh, Production and hosting services were provided by the Hidalgo Trading Company, now owned and operated by Alex Ross, and the ethereal music of our theme song that portends strange death to the wicked is by mad genius Jack Furyk. Uh, If you want to join our secret club, just subscribe to one or both of our Patreons, which help pay for hosting costs and whatnot. Not everyone has access to a secret valley of gold, you know. Uh, Subscribe to either of us, and you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, illustrations and comics, and your own personal decoder ring. Just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, 1L, or Adam Prosser, 2Ss, or what-mad-universe.pinecast.co for the links. You can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me or Spear Hafok A for Philip. Um, we're also on Blue Sky under those same things Prankster36.bsky.social and SpearHafok.bsky.social. Um, if you're on the, that, the new website, which we like a bit better, I think. Uh, until next time, keep striving for protect. Perfe- until next time, keep striving for perfection. <laughs>